honestly, I, I did a research project with a, a professor and a grad school student. And I was just like, I don't think I'm the type of person that wants to sit in the lab all day. That's Stephanie Perkins. I'm Greg Baird. You're listening to the Photo Gregor podcast. I'm here with Stephanie Perkins. She is a track coach for sprints, hurdles, and horizontal jumps at a major university. And we're here to talk about everything, including her life and how she got where she is. Welcome, Stephanie. How are you? I'm good, Greg. Thank you for having me. I think that uh, you're one of my favorite people, and I definitely want my people to think that you're their favorite person as well. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. So question for you. Let's let's just start off. What was your dream growing up, like, like athletically? What, where did you want to be? Honestly, uh, one of the first sports that I did was gymnastics. And then I got into basketball later uh, when I went to private school. Um, I had a classmate that talked to me about basketball, and then I joined basketball. And that kind of turned into uh, dreams of doing the WNBA, being in the WNBA. But honestly, gymnastics was my first love. I watched uh, TV. I remember, what's her name? Is it Dominique Mosciano? Yeah, like mid-80s. Yes. And so just seeing her, I remember thinking she looks so young and she's an Olympian. And so uh, gymnastics was actually... The one that made me, you know, I watched it all the time uh, in the Olympics, gymnastics, figure skating, uh, track and field. But yeah. Gymnastics. Do you realize she was like 13 at the time? Yeah. And so I was just like, oh, that's the sport I want to do because you can be an Olympian and be a kid. Yeah. And then now I think you have to be 16 to do it now. That's that's uh, anyway. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I think they have an age limit for gymnasts now. Sixteen's um, like like old now. I know, right? You're like ready to retire. I know, but I don't. I don't think that I know for sure that. But it seems like that that's the last the the thing they were talking about at the last Olympics, which, by the way, the Olympics should have just happened, but we're in COVID situation. So yes, did that bum you out? It did bum me out. Um, I think being a track and field coach, that is one of the things you look forward to. You watch it with your athletes. You talk about it at practice, and it gets people excited uh, about the sport itself. I feel like the average person thinks that track and field only happens once every four years because of the Olympics. Um, so that's the one time where everybody's tuned into track and field. Well, it only comes on once a year, once every four years on network TV. That's the that's a huge problem. Yes, I think I see more bowling on uh, the sports channels and poker than I do track and field. Yikes! <laughs> <laughs> I lo- I actually love bowling and I love poker, but. They shouldn't be on TV more than track and field. No way. I think they're, it's, it does a disservice to how athletic and how hard you have to work because, you know, typically, even at the college level, it's very much an individual team sport. And the amount of work people put in for, you know, one race or one moment is a lot. And to, to make it seem like it only happens every four years is kind of a disservice to the, the sport itself. For real. So let's go back to that gymnast uh, uh, thing. What was your what were your what were your specialties in the gymnastics? I was called powerhouse by my trainers. Uh, they actually told my parents I was 
really, really good. Um, but in the floor, uh, uneven bars were my best and the vault. Uneven bars. So what's it like flying above those bars doing the, 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 like, I guess they call them giant swings. What's that like? Well, I did gymnastics for just a year and I moved up in the ranks pretty fast. But then my dad went to the Persian Gulf War and, and he was there for about a year and a half or two. And it was just a lot for my mom to manage with younger siblings. And they, the place that I was at gymnastics offered a scholarship and kind of wanted me to move in or something. And my mom was like, no. Um, so, you know, I was helping with my younger brother and just kind of helping out at the house. And she was working at night, stocking at the commissary on base. And so I needed to be home. But she also just thought that was way intense for a 10-year-old to just like move away for gymnastics. Did that bother you that you couldn't continue? It did. Uh, but I also understood what was going on too. And, you know, there was other things that I was able to get into. So, you know, I played basketball, like I said, at the school and I had a pretty rigorous academic schedule. I was in a gifted and talented. So I was getting off the bus super late at night and getting home. And yeah, I mean, there was also a lot of sacrifice that I knew, you know, gymnastics was going to be a job. And at that time, it was just fun for me. So how long did you play basketball after that? I played in the fourth grade all the way through the eighth grade. Uh, nope, so my sophomore year is when I quit. Um, I did, I quit basketball to focus on track after my sophomore year. And so I, between fourth and 10th grade, you had found track. Um, it sounds like what ended up happening with track that made you quit basketball? So I wanted to be a veterinarian. Uh, we used to sit around the dinner table and our parents would ask us, what are your goals? What do you want to be when you grow up? I used to read a lot of Dr. Doolittle books and I, you know, used to just kind of find random animals and bring them home and nurse them back to health all the time. So I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian and I was pretty adamant about it. That's even why I chose the school I went to for undergrad was to be a veterinarian, did an internship in high school. And my parents were like, that's super awesome. You want to be a veterinarian. You have to go to college to do that. The next question became, you know, that that, that question turned to how, how are you going to pay for college? And so, um, yeah, I felt like I was getting more letters and better opportunities from track and field. My gym teacher in the fourth grade actually told my parents that I was super fast. We had a field day and I beat all the boys and you know, that we did like a track unit in PE class and her name was Miss Foxworth. Uh, I really credit a, a lot to her. She's the one who introduced me to track and um, she told my mom about a club team in Denver, the Colorado Flyers. I did not actually start running for the Colorado Flyers until the sixth grade. And what events did you excel in? When I first started, I was running the one and the two, the short sprints. And I remember watching some of the hurdlers on my team and saying, that looks really cool what they're doing. I want to do that. And I think my coach made a deal with me that if I ran a certain time in the 200, I could start practicing. And so I ran for a year and I think my dad was stationed somewhere else. Again, I don't remember. One of the parents had to go somewhere, but, or no, we moved. We moved from Denver to Aurora. and. Uh, so I kind of skipped out 
for a little bit while we were adjusting to the, you know, Aurora. It was kind of far from Denver to go back and forth. They had closed the military base, uh, Larry Air Force Base is where I stayed in Denver. And so my parents were kind of trying to find a house. So I ran for Tony or Colorado Flyers from sixth to seventh grade. Did not run middle school track in Aurora because I didn't even know they had middle school track or I think I played basketball and volleyball there. The track unit was in the fall. And so I missed out on that. And so a lot of people didn't even know I was fast until I got to high school my freshman year. So how many times did you move while you were in school? I stay, I grew up in Denver. Um, my kindergarten and first grade, we lived in Las Vegas. And I went to the same school. And then pretty much every year I changed schools until sixth grade and then I stayed at the same middle school for two years and then we moved to Aurora and then I went to a different middle school in Aurora and then I got to stay at high school for all four years. Uh, There was a time I think my junior year where my parents were buying a house my you know my dad had retired from the military and we were going to leave again and I said okay no like just let me finish high school at the same school I don't want to start over. Was it hard? No. It was annoying (laughs) growing up, you know, being a military brat. I think it it has made me adaptable because when I was young, there was that, you know, the tears shed when one of your friends got stationed and and left or you had to move. But as I got older, I just learned to appreciate people for the time that I had them. And, you know, I learned that people come and go. And so I think it just made it's given me the ability to detach myself from toxic situations pretty easily. But it also makes me super appreciative of the people that I've had in my life for a very long time. So when when did you start getting attention from colleges about about your athletics? Freshman year, I went to state and I did not start hurdling to the my sophomore year, but my freshman year, I went to state and got fourth and I started getting letters from, you know, the, the East Coast. I remember my first letter, I think, was Columbia. And Brown. Now that's a school. That's yeah. A good set of schools there. Yeah. So, you know, my parents were very big on grades. If, you know, I had a C on a progress report, like you were shut down immediately. Um, and my dad, it was just like, you know, you have to have a plan to fall back on and your grades are going to help get you into school. What if you decide you don't want to do sports? What if you get injured? You need to have a good GPA to try to help you get some academic scholarship as well. So, yeah, my my first letter was from there and that's kind of where my dad was pushing we didn't have a really good high school program uh, basketball program so my dad kind of started saying hey you need to get a little bit more serious you know if if you're trying to play for school and at that time I was still big dreams set on (laughs) WNBA so I'm like okay I'll play basketball and do track we went 0-19 my sophomore year and that was the year I started hurdling Uh, I got second in the state at hurdles and kind of took to those pretty quickly. And at that time I went back that summer, I went back to train with my old club coach with the Colorado Flyers. And I think I ran like, ah, I don't, I want to say like 15, seven or something at state. And by my senior year, I had run 13, seven. Yeah. That's a big jump. Yeah. <laughs> the 15, seven gets second place. <laughs> And and thirteen seven wins. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, so, no, thirteen seven uh senior year. 
Uh, yeah, you're right. Actually, yeah. You know how track and field is. It kind of comes in waves mm-hmm. where you have, you know, there's just some superstars and they're all in one place at one time. And uh, I would say the 94 through 98 Colorado was really well known for track and field. Uh, there was a lot of good sprinters coming out there. A lot of those sprinters coming from the club team that I was on. But also within the state, we just had a really athletic group of people that at that time. So did you take state with 13-7? I did. Okay. I won state pretty much my ju- yeah, junior and senior year. I, I won the hurdles. That's good. I want to go back, though. What did it mean to you then that your dad and, and mom were pushing grades and athletics? And what does it mean to you now that they were? Um, then I got it. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, I appreciated that from them because they told me why. And, you know, the struggles. My parents always just basically told me that education gives you a choice. Um, you, you can choose. And also your ceiling is higher when it comes to being promoted in jobs. And um, so I thought it was cool when people would, you know, be so amazed at how high my grades were or that I was in gifted and talented or that I was in, you know, advanced class or honors classes. I like that people were impressed with that and didn't, you know, were so surprised that I wasn't just an athlete. So which school subjects did you excel in? Math and science. Yeah. So, so if you hadn't been on track to be a veterinarian, what would have been a good field based on your aptitudes? Um, I was also looking at forensic pathology. Um, kind of, you know, once I realized the commitment that vet school was and being a collegiate athlete, I was just kind of burnt out of being in school and just, just the intensity of it and being a collegiate athlete. So I knew that being a veterinarian, I'd have an additional schooling. I'd also have to get into vet school. And I did an internship in high school. Uh, I had basically had enough credits to graduate my junior year, but my dad wanted me to do my senior year of track and field um, as well as my, my club coach. And so we had to take so many classes to be able to do that. So I took a creative writing class, and then the rest of the day I was at an internship. And um, that's when I realized, you know, asking a lot of questions that I really just like animals. I didn't really see a career of, like, being a veterinarian after I did the internship. So it was a really good experience. But I knew I liked science. I knew I wanted to do something that uh, helped the community, made the world a better place. I was just always drawn to, like, just trying to create change and, and for the better. And so I, I looked at what other things I could do in the field of science. So let's chase that a little bit. Where, where did you end up going to college? I went to Oklahoma State University. Scholarship? Yes, I was a track scholarship. And I went there because at the time, it was the third best vet school in the nation. I did my internship in the spring, but I had signed to Oklahoma State in the fall. So, like, prior to my senior season, I had already signed there. And then doing the internship in the spring, I was like, uh, you know, starting to fill out what vet med was really all about. And then when I got to college, I think about my sophomore year, I decided I don't, I don't think I want to be a veterinarian anymore. Uh, there was a school of osteopathic or forensic medicine, but it was at a sister campus. It wasn't actually at Oklahoma State. So I ended up just getting my degree in microbiology and minoring in biology. 
<laughs> Maybe set your sights a little lower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not easy. Uh, what, what did you find satisfaction in, 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 in this new thing that you hadn't dreamed up until you changed in the middle of college? Um, I mean, I, I just got interested in a lot of different subjects. Honestly, I, I did a research project with a, a professor and a grad school student. And I was just like, I don't think I'm the type of person that wants to sit in the lab all day. Although pathogenic microbiology or biology and immunology and virology were the most interesting subjects to me. I enjoyed those classes a lot. I enjoyed the labs. But I just thought, I really don't see myself making a career where I'm like in a lab all day. Um, I really like interacting with people. And I worked environmental when I first got out of school and I worked at an environmental consulting company and even then I was like what can I do with that I don't have to sit behind a computer all day and so I I, I was a field tech and I did a lot of sampling and um, it was just out in nature and stuff and I appreciated all that but I was just missing that connection with that human connection and so on the side I started volunteering at my old high school and volunteering and helping kids with uh, that coach that did track and field. And that kind of, you know, led me to where I am now. Um, working with the kids made me want to teach. And I felt like there was a need for more teachers that looked like me to teach kids that looked like me. Fell in love with that. And I got an alternative certification. Um, and honestly, yeah, I had a dance group at church. And I loved that. So all the stuff I was doing outside of work that was, you know, I wasn't getting paid for gave me the most joy. And that was working with young people. Oh, that's cool. Uh, so you went, you went to teach high school at that point. Yeah. So I worked at an alternative uh, school. It was like a charter school in Denver and worked with some kids that basically was like their last leg before, you know, either going to jail or. They had been expelled from high school, and I really loved those kids. They're, you know, I just felt like people didn't understand them, didn't know how to teach them, and, um, you know, teaching gang members chemistry and math and then being excited about learning and fighting over who wants to say the answer first. It was really cool experience, and I decided to be a teacher after that. Oh, that's cool. So tell, tell us about some of that. I mean, what... Um... What is what was it that, that engaged those students in these fields that they really hadn't maybe had exposure to before? Well, I think the first thing was I wasn't intimidated by their behavior. Okay. I had an expectation for them, and I don't know if people necessarily had an expectation for them before. Um, but I also, like, really just went hard and celebrated anything that they did in a positive way. Like, yeah, and I was just relatable to them. Um, you know, I remember one of the girls telling me, I've never met a black woman as, as smart as you, you know, and I was just like, wow, you know, just thinking who is she surrounded by, but she was just so impressed. They were impressed with the way I spoke and the fact that I, you know, they never had a black science teacher or a black chemistry teacher or a black teacher at all. And um, I think that, I don't know, maybe in some way they looked up to me. But I never had any issues with disrespect. And, um, you know, I think that my intelligence was something that 
they just looked up to or, were, you know, I know they impressed them. Plus, I was like still super fit, you know, and they were always asking about my muscles and how much can you bench? <laughs> and, you know, just little questions like that. But just the energy I put into them. And I, I, I realized that if they know you care, you know, they really didn't care what you know, that just as if they knew you care that they would go through the fire for you. So I tried to make the school as much like a normal school. We had grades. We very interactive classroom. It wasn't just a worksheet, sit down and be quiet, set up. You know, we were very interactive with all kinds of different ways to learn. And I think I was able to reach all the students. And so I decided to uh, move to Texas. I was really moving to Texas to train as well. But the coaching and teaching took up so much of my time that I, that I kind of let that dream go and focused on the students. That's cool. I, I want to talk about Texas in a second, but I, I do want to go back and, and, and say, do you keep do you keep in touch with those kids that were your students in Colorado? No, I did keep in touch with the students that I coached at the high school. When I got my first high school paid coaching job, a lot of those students, I you know, I follow them on social media and, you know, we might talk back and forth on social media, but they're well aware, you know, that I'm at the college that I'm at now and, and what I'm doing. And I like catching up with them and see what they have going on in their life. Some of them are married and have children and have gone on to be doctors and things like that, but not really with the other students. They were just more of an inspiration to get me into coaching and teaching. Okay. Um, tell me about some of those students. What are, I mean, what great things are they doing? The, the ones um, from your first coaching job. Uh, one of my first girls to get a scholarship went to Drake and she's a doctor. I know she's done some missions out of the country, but she's a doctor. I have another one that is a nurse. Um, another one who actually followed me from college to Texas and all the way to Utah, who still lives here and she's doing real estate now. Um, and then yeah, that's that's my is that Texas we're talking about? No, that's Colorado. And then a lot of my the girls I coached in Texas did a lot of them ended up majoring in science and they're nurses or I mean they're all doing all kinds of stuff. Um, so sweet. Um, I had a question. I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay though. Uh, oh, did, I I was gonna ask. Did, does that make you feel like kind of like the pride, a mother's pride type of thing? Do do you, do they feel like your kids in some respects? They did, and and I didn't have kids for a long time, so I put a lot of energy into those uh, athletes. I had the time to do it. And the passion. And like I said, I think when kids know you care at that level, it's them competing and doing certain things. It's because they don't want to disappoint you. Um, and then as they get older, they develop a love for the sport and a love for the competition. And they have those same high expectations for themselves. And it kind of becomes ingrained in them. But like really just seeing a lot of first generation students go to college and go on to be, you know, teachers and chemists and nurses when people didn't expect them to do anything with their life is it's something I'm very proud of um you know these they, they're breaking generational curses and doing being the first in their family to do something and so it's kind of an expectation for their next generation to go on to college and they've been through the ropes and they see the benefits of them get you know being educated 
you can be successful without a degree. I, I really do feel like my experience in college taught me how to be resourceful, taught me how to set a goal and stick to it. You know, a little bit of sacrifice, networking, working with all sorts of different people. And I think those are the skills you gain in college that you really can't put to a degree name. And that is, yeah, it's something I'm really proud of, proud of them for that. What about your life changed? What were the, some of the good things and bad things about the the move away from uh or away from your your home? I always, you know, being a military brat, I moved around, so I've never been afraid to move, and I like new experiences, uh, new places. I just kind of get bored after a while. Being, you know, once I figure out a system or I don't feel like I'm challenged, I need a new challenge, and so. Um, I was I knew I was going to leave Colorado and probably not come back. My family had actually moved to Atlanta when I was in college, I think my sophomore year. And so there really wasn't any family, you know, in there for me. My husband's family, he has a huge family in Colorado, so we go back and forth there. But I always knew I was going to leave Colorado and find somewhere else to live. So it wasn't a big deal for me to leave. I originally was training, so I had this really, my college experience as a student athlete was not good. I felt like my progression and where I ended in college was not what I expected based on how I progressed in high school in two short years. So I had these big expectations to possibly, you know, qualify for the trials at some point during my collegiate career. And I had a lot of different coaches uh, come through there. And by the end of it, I wasn't even hurdling anymore. Uh, I think I stopped hurdling after my sophomore year, uh, ended up blowing my knee out at the big 12 in the triple jump. And so I was just very, you know, when you're, you've been identified as an athlete all all your life, when you graduate from college, you kind of go through this identity crisis. Like you still got your foot in that, you know, I, I, I still got it. I still got it. You kind of can't let it go. But you're also like, it's time to transition and get a job. So in Texas, I was teaching on an alternative certificate. But I also moved there because of the hot weather, because of what athletics is like in Texas, in hopes that I could find a team to train with and, you know, have more people my age to train with to try to qualify for the trials and just do, you know, see how how fast I could go, where I could really focus on training and have a training group. But like I said, uh, that first couple, three years in Texas, that, that I was coaching cross-country for the girls and boys team. I was the head cross-country coach. Also trying to get through my alternative certificate program, and then I was the head girls track and field coach. So I had two coaching positions on top of the regular teaching, and then I was trying to train, and uh, I was like, it just wasn't working. And I'm like, I'm going to have to focus on what pays the bills, and that was teaching and coaching. So did you ultimately qualify for the trials? No, but I did qualify for the U.S. Indoor Championships in 2008. How'd that go? Uh, it did not go well there, but I could walk away from that and say, okay, I, I know that I still got it. You know, I hadn't hurdled in, what, three, four years. And this was after, you know, blowing out my knee and having three surgeries. So I was pretty good about where I ended for me I proved to myself, you know, I ran faster than I ever ran in college in the hurdles. And I was training like three days a week, barely, you know, in between jobs and church and all these other things, volunteer coaching. So I was satisfied with where I ended considering, you know, 
how unwell I, I trained myself. So I, I was I was good with that. So I'm curious. I I know you played some professional tackle football at one point. Yes. So how did that end up happening? After school, there there was a team practicing at the high school I coached at, and I saw some girls with footballs. And that I always liked football growing up. I remember saying, "Gosh, I wish they had college football." You know, I wish they had all girls teams, like real tackle, not powder puff that you play during homecoming, but like legit seasons. And I, I just started talking to the ladies and they were like, come on out. And uh, I talked to the coach and then they let me know that there was going to be a tryout, like a combine. And so, um, yeah, I trained for that for about, I think I trained for about three months before the combine. And then when we went to the combine, I, I think I had like, one of the fastest te- uh, 40 times there that day and uh, kind of made the team that way. Could not catch a cold. Like I was just, <laughs> I mean, I'm leaving the ball behind at first. Like, so I, I started off on defense. It's funny. Um, and then I think I stood in and did a walkthrough for the running back position, which I was like, like you don't really have to catch a ball if you're a running back. Uh, so um, I was like running back and middle linebacker. Um, but yeah. At the combine, what 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 other types of athletes were there? I mean, basketball, soccer, uh, softball, some of everything. Yeah, were you one of the meanest ones? No, I thought I was. I'm <laughs> I'm actually a, a super goofball, and I, I think my my athletes will tell you that I I can be at tense intense at times, but even me as a teacher, like I'm a, I'm just a little bit of a goofball. So I was kind of as my old club coach used to call me the court jester. I was always cracking jokes. Even the coach was always laughing, like, Herc, you know, like, when he was trying to get on the team, I was always, you know, dancing or making a joke or exaggerating how tired I was. So I was kind of like the comedy relief on the team. But all the ladies were uh, pretty funny. It was, it, was, it was kind of a social thing, but it was really cool to see real athletes there who also dreamed of playing football growing up as women or girls. Well, I know there's a there's a girls tackle football league here in Utah that uh, I'm kind of following here and there. there. It's it seems like that they've got a good thing going, and they've got a few. I think they've got six or eight teams now. Anyway, yes, I, 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 I know that. I fantastic. I the guy, the dealership that I bought my car from a couple of years ago. His uh, one of the guys, his daughter played, and I was I just thought it was the coolest thing. I'm like, dang, if I could have been born like 15 years later. Uh, I just thought that was so awesome that they have real teams, real tackle, because like I said, the powder puff little flag football game we played, and I wasn't ever allowed to play it because of, you know, the other sports that I did. Parents and coaches didn't want me to risk my season getting hurt in a powder puff game, but to actually see girls in pads and and tackling, I thought that was pretty cool. It definitely is. And, uh, so what what surprised you about the intensity at the at the league you were in when you played? Arena is such a fast game. And, you know, when you're getting a pass, it's like a two-yard slant versus like a 10-yard, you know. Everything is happening so fast. And, um, but, you know, playing with girls that had kind of played in the league before, uh, their vision, you know, you know a play, but when, there's all these people coming at you and all this stuff going on around you. Like you're reacting, but you also, you know, you have a plan, but sometimes you just got to change the plan up. That hole isn't open, you know? So I think the speed of the game, um, 
you know, compared to what I see on TV, it, it really changed my respect for what football players do out there in real life. And I started watching everyone, you know, because <laughs> you watch football and you just see guys in tight, tight pants and, <laughs> you know, the that's, running. That's what you see. I, yeah, don't, yeah. I don't see that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, just, I'm being real, but you see you know, the running back and the offense. But when I played, I'm looking at the defense. I'm looking at what the line is doing. And I'm like, oh, that's a good block right there. Or that's a good read. Um, so it just gave me a different appreciation for, for the game and what they're doing out there when these these super fast, big athletic dudes that are running 4-4 and below in the 40 are coming at you full speed ahead. Um, yeah. Do you feel like Do you feel like it's like a chess match, but you have no time to think about anything? It's like chess and checkers, you know? Um, okay. Yeah, exactly. How so? Well, you're, you know, you, you scout the teams. You're, you're, you know what type of plays they run, and the coach is going over plays with you. Um, this is the type of offense they run, so this is the type of defense we, we run, and when they do this, we're going to do that. But then sometimes you get in the game situation and you just have to let your athleticism take over. So that's like the checkers parts where it's just like, all right, well, you're coming this way, so I'm going to go that way. The chess part is just the plan, like this is how we're going to, you know, approach this game this week. I like that analogy. Um, what about the football helps you in your daily life now? The team part. Um, I liked track because of the, in gymnastics, because I did feel like there was so much on you. But. Now that I'm a coach, I do feel like there is a, the team is, is is very important just as much as the individual. And I think the camaraderie, um, you know, having a common goal and just putting all stuff aside for this and coming together, um, the chemistry in order for the plays and stuff to be fluid. You know, you kind of just have to have a chemistry with your quarterback, your line, and they, you know, they know how you come in the hole. They know how you hit the hole, just different things. Um, you know, your, your strong safety, you, you just know everybody has their role and, it, and it's important, not just your role, but everybody has to do their part for things to work. And I think that's, even though track is a, you know, primarily an individual sport, um, I think that the team, it's, the culture is just as important and the team chemistry is important. So how how did were you coaching track at the time when you played? I was. I would go uh, teach and then coach my kids and then stay up there and uh, practice twice a week. We practiced. Okay, so what what did you bring back from the team sport into your coaching? Uh, I mean, in the team aspect, I mean. Hmm. Just being accountable to the team. You know, someone being late or not coming to practice. Not just telling me, but letting their teammates know. Um, that, you know, this is important enough to me to communicate with you guys. I know that you're out there working hard today, but this is what's going on with me today. Um, you know, the, the sacrifice, um, the social aspect of it. Like, we had a bunch of fun out there, and it was fun afterwards winning a game and going through memories and, like, looking at film and, and just reflecting, like, oh, yeah, you know, and everyone giving everybody else props. You know, no one ever said, oh, man, I did that. It was like someone else is highlighting something great you did and you're watching something else somebody did and and congratulating them and highlighting that. And I feel like um, that's what I wanted to have on my team. I wanted, especially, you know, coaching women, I think 
you've ever seen the show The Bachelor, <laughs> how, uh, you know, the nature of women is to not, you know, that we, we can be very competitive and very catty. And, you know, I wanted to have a team of women that were athletes, not not saying you're a female athlete, but you're an athlete. And we can actually be happy for another woman's success and just know, like, you got next to you. You have the the glory of training, the privilege of training with this person every day. So your time is coming too, or it can come, but like celebrating other people's success and genuinely being happy. You know, I have always said, you better fake it till you make it when I was a younger coach. And eventually they, they would, you know, I had girls fighting over boys and doing all kinds of stuff, but I'm like, you better leave that off the track. And that by the end of the season, they win state in the four by one or someone gets a state championship. Those girls were right there in the stands screaming for that girl that they just got into it with and, and happy for them. You know, where do you think that comes from the, the, the social competitiveness? You know, I have my theories. One of my theories sure. is that we have societal roles. And I think that sometimes, you know, for those for women athletes, you want to step away from that role. Like I can be more than a mom. I can be more than, you know, I, I'm, I can do anything a, a guy can do. Um, but also because of that, sometimes we tend to be one of few. Like I know in coaching, there is, isn't a lot of women, you know, even with female teams, there's still male coaches. And so um, I think that people kind of get territorial over their roles. Um, especially if it's outside of the scope of being a mother or, or, or wife or, you know, things like that. So um, I, I, I don't know, but I think it's also just women. I, I, I really, I don't know where it comes from. What, what do you think it does to a team? Uh, so we're talking about track now. We're talking about an individual sport. Mm -hmm. What does it do when they see themselves as, as teammates? Uh, how does that dynamic change the way they approach their, their training, their, their in-race strategy? What does the team aspect bring to an individual sport? Well, I think they enjoy being out there. You know, um, they they it, they have support. They have someone rallying behind them. You got this, you know, get up. And someone's bringing them water at the end of a run or, you know, posting a picture on social media about their teammate. And it, it feels good um, to be acknowledged by other people. Um, but it definitely creates a culture where everyone is trying to do that versus that one or two standouts. It's like, I think they all feel like, well, if I train with you every day, I can be where you're at. And it's exciting to see that. Yeah. And I, I, I certainly sense that, um, with the athletes you coach now at the university, what, what, uh, what brought you from the high school ranks to the university? Like how, do, like, how did they recruit you? How did they find you? What, what led to you becoming a university coach? Uh, there was an athlete that ran for my boss, the director of track and field, and he just so happened to live up the street from the high school that I coached at. And I was wearing so many hats, um, but I also knew my lane. You know, I was a sprint coach, never really put that much energy into studying distance. So I did enough to get my uh, distance crew and the cross-country kids. To be honest, th those kids were like the orchestra kids. You know, they weren't right. like these super, like, I'm trying to get it. You know, they just wanted to do a sport and do something active. And at that level in the high school I was, there wasn't really much participation in cross country. So it was really fun for them. But 
had a couple of standout kids that I thought, gosh, if I knew a little bit more, these kids might have an opportunity to go to school for free. And I felt like, ah, gee, I wish I, I had somebody here to help me and had the same passion for track and field, but with distance knowledge. And lo and behold, God sends me, uh, I don't know if I could say his name, but this guy, uh, he went to BYU, Keith Jensen. And he asked if he could volunteer. He just wanted to work with kids. He's just like, out of the blue? Yep. He, he said he saw one of my guys running one day. And he's like, who's your coach? And I'm like, man, God answers prayers because I am looking for a distance coach. So he helped out with the high school and kind of helped me with workouts and would give little talks because he's at the collegiate level. And I felt like the sprinters respected me because I had collegiate experience and I was trying to teach them, you know, prepare them for if this is what you want to do, like you need to understand these things. And I felt like Keith was able to do that with the distance kids. They were All of them, you know, were super awesome kids. So he volunteered and then helped me with the club. Matter of fact, he ended up helping help get one of our kids to, he, he just graduated from Texas Tech as an engineer and now has a job at uh, Lockheed Martin. But um, he helped with those. And so when my boss got the job, he ended up um, telling him about me. And to be honest, I was not. <laughs> I really just interviewed to be polite to this guy. It's just like, you've helped me so much. The least I can do is, you know, just go interview. I just signed a job at a new school that was a higher level. You know, I think I was at 3A and I was bumping up to a 4A school where they were essentially hiring me basically for track and field. That's what it felt like. Uh, they had phenomenal facilities and they told me they were watching me for the last few years. And they're like, you know, we have 60 girls on our team and you guys are getting second to us with, you know, 16 to 18 girls. And that's there's coaching going on there. And they just liked the culture of the team and felt like, you know, you could really do something. We have a lot of talent here, but we, we think, it, you know, some of these girls need to be managed a little bit better. And we feel like you could connect with them. So I had just signed on to a new job at, at another city at a bigger school. And so I really was just honoring uh, this guy for helping me out so much with my team and being polite to him because I had no intention of leaving Dallas to, <laughs> to come to Utah. I, I don't think I had even, maybe you had been through Utah going to the Simplot games, but I just had no intention of it at all. None. None. And so <laughs> why why make the decision? I mean, why why make the move? Well, when I came, I think what I had in my mind and the image that I had in my mind um, and what it actually was when I came in person was completely different. Plus, I had a lot of people telling me, you know, no, you don't want to be there. You're not going to make it. You're not going to last a year. And I just... And one of those people I love when people can't tell me I can't do anything or do something. It's been the story of my life. I've always had that chip on my shoulder. And so I said, well, let me at least check it out. You know, I'll get some college interview experience. But, you know, I assured the, the new school that I'll be back. Don't worry. I'm just trying to be polite and, you know, honor my word. After my first interview, I was like, well, you know, first of all, it's beautiful. I It's like a postcard. And then I honestly did feel like I could it would it would be a challenge and that there was a need for me there in terms of where the program was trying to go in terms of what I saw at the university I felt like I could come here and and make things better in some way shape or form and that excited me so 
what what were some of the immediate successful good things that happened once you once you arrived at the university? Well, um, the first, I would say, I I got um, assistant coach of the year, and that was really surprising to me. Um, it was a you know it's it's a vote that the athletes do, so it's kind of like a I don't know people's choice award, but. I was very surprised that, you know, I had made an impact on a team in that way. And I had um, a couple of guys show up to nationals, uh, get some honorable mention, and was able to have some success pretty quickly in the multis. That's what I was coaching as at first with, with hurdlers and things like that. But um, I, that would be probably the first thing was just that. Yeah, you know, being being coach of the year, and I'm like, okay, maybe they like me a little bit. <laughs> what what are those What are those first athletes mean to you? I mean, you still keep in touch? Yes, I do. They're one of my favorite athletes. Uh, he's like a son to me. I won't mention his name, but he was such such a turd, if I can say that. We you can say that. Okay, we say it, say it louder. <laughs> he was a turd, and um, I mean, at one point, I was just like telling you know my husband stuff and I'm like he's gonna come up to the I can't even tell him stuff anymore he's gonna come beat this dude up so like I just kind of kept stuff to myself but he challenged me in so many ways and one of the reasons why we butted heads is because he was just like me and very headstrong and he made me earn his respect and I appreciate that and we just had a conversation and I said I know you don't like me and I know you don't trust me you know he he was looking at me sideways because I was a high school coach and because of some of the changes, you know, people are attached to their coaches, you know. Um, he was just like, I'm not just going to come in and, you know, you're not just going to come here and respect you because you're my coach. And I'm like, I get that. But, you know, when you're fast, <laughs> when you're fast and you run fast, you know, in December, you know, then you'll come back to me and we'll be friends. But, you know, people were showing up late and just different things. And I kind of ran, you know, my team back in Dallas, like a, a drill sergeant, like, so be, having a military background, it's like practice starts at three. It starts at three. You should be here at two fifty-five. you know, like that was kind of my attitude and people were strolling in just so casual, just like, Oh, I'm here, you know, and I, I would get livid and, and I would address people. Um, I think too, I had to realize that if people I'm talking to now, 21 year old, 20 year old freshmen, they're not, 14 year old kids and so they're looking at me like I have a wife you know or some of them were married or on their way to getting married and so I had to adapt to um the culture that I was in and so it was challenging but um yeah so anyway he ended up uh running fast and and uh, qualifying for nationals within like the first two meets and set a meet record um at a, and I remember that December after his first uh, multi, he called me and said, you look, I've been a jerk to you. You told me that when I ran fast that I would respect you. And, and I'm telling you now, like, I'm here. You know, I, I've been a turd. He used a different word, but he, he basically just said, you know, you have me. And he kind of helped um, lead the team and get everybody else to buy into what I was doing. So what keeps you coming back day after day at the, at the track? Okay, right now, I feel like I'm on the brink of doing something really great in terms of the sprints and hurdles. And the team that I have now is the team that I needed when I was in college. 
And the coach that I am now is the coach that I wanted when I was in college. And so now that, I, that the culture is there and I'm ready to just kind of see everything come into fruition. And so, I mean, what keeps me coming back are my kids. Uh, during the quarantine, it was hard because the only reason I'm here is for track and field. I don't really have any family. My family is super far away. Um, because of the work schedule, it's kind of hard to make friends. You know, we travel on the weekends and with recruiting and always something going on. It's just really hard to uh, make friends, but also, you know, the culture a little bit. Um, you can say Utah's pretty weird. <laughs> I'll let you. It's weird. It is, but it's getting better. But the first few years, I was definitely <laughs> like, what? Where did I get myself into? I thought I was in the twilight zone. Disclaimer, I'm a Utah lifer. <laughs> I've been outside. I just want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some some good, some really good things about it, but there was just it was just a huge adjustment. I've lived in so many metroplexes and I kind of got here and I'm like, it's like a bubble. I mean, you hear about it, but like when you live in it, you're like, this is why people call it the bubble. Yeah, there's definitely a feel here, isn't there? Yeah, there is. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I, like I said, in the last eight years, I, I do see um, a lot of growth and I've seen the diversity increase. I've met a lot of people from out of state that have come in here, kind of transplanted like me. and so. Just for me, I just grew up with diversity, and I appreciate it. I don't like anything being around all pe- around people that all think the same way and look the same way and drive the same car and live in the same house and have the same path in life. So um, just growing up, you know, as a military brat, I experienced that, and I love it. Um, I think that's how I, I've been able to be so open to new experiences. Well, and if I could elaborate a little bit, when I say I've been outside, um, that's what I'm talking about. I, I grew up. Utah is a very non-diverse place, both religiously and um, ethnically. And I, w- when I say I've been outside, that's what I'm talking about, is that I feel like Utah is, it's that bubble. And you really need to get out of that bubble and really test yourself. You know, and I came back, but, but uh, just staying here seems a little like emotionally safe. I, I don't think... I don't think I want to be emotionally safe. I want to try new things and, and, and get out and, you know, and have, and have something challenge my social and, and, and religious belief system, you know? Yes. And I think because of what diversity does for you is it makes you really kind of dig into who you are and be comfortable in your core values. But I feel like you're, you're allowed to be challenged and you start to really see what is important to you and you can speak on those things but uh w- when you're not I, yeah what you just said being emotionally and spiritually like all those things when everyone thinks the same and then it's almost like you're 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 nitpicking at little things because there's <laughs> there's really nothing else to uh, you know or you, you you went to temple twice this month you know like just little just things you know oh you did you didn't write your missionary letter this week like there's just other real big things going on or, oh, I can't believe she's wearing a camisole. Yeah. You know, you could tell she's not a member. She's in a camisole shirt. Just like those kind of little things, you know, it's like that's not what makes you a, a good or bad person. And uh, when I got up here, <laughs> I felt like it was a lot of that little minutia stuff that I was like, oh, whoa. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So hashtag just support people how they are. 
just support people how they are. And you also never, you know, after uh, Chadwick Bozeman passed, there's a lot of people on social media like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we were talking about his weight and people were, you know, just making fun of him. And he was going through cancer treatments while filming all these movies. And people were just like, oh, he must be on drugs or he must be doing this. And, you know, they had no idea about his experience. Maybe someone's wearing certain type of clothes because that's the only clothes they have on their back. Yeah. Um, well, you know, and, and frankly, it's none of our business and it's not, and that's not what we're called to do as Christians. I don't think, I mean, in my opinion, but guess what? I'm not a member of a church, but going to church, I experienced that, you know, from people going to church and I'm like, well, if, how are we supposed to help people if we only want to help the people that the, don't need help? That seem like us. That, that seem just like us. Yeah, you know? exactly. So, um, I want to talk a little bit about family. I mean, you know, we're talking about some, you, you know, there's a little bit heavier of topics than, than, than we start out with, but, uh, you, what's it like being a mother and, and a traveling full-time track coach? I mean, what, what do those kids mean to you? My, my babies, your babies. And by the way, you guys got to meet these kids. Anybody who's <laughs> listening, these kids are amazing. It's like a hive of bees. So are yours, though. Um, That's true, but they're a little older. <laughs> but they're still amazing. See, I, I saw them when they were the same size as my babies right. up at the track, cl- you know, climbing all over everything and giving me a heart attack. Um, but uh, they mean a lot. You know, I had um, I had a few, a couple miscarriages and, you know, I had a hard time getting pregnant and I had kind of accepted that I wasn't going to have babies. So they were really a surprise. Um and they they came right after you started here coaching here in Utah, right? Uh, like my third year. Oh, okay. my my athlete had it faster than that. Uh, no, yeah, it was like twenty sixteen. I because I had an athlete that I couldn't go to the world champs with him because I was pregnant in the Zika virus, mm. and then when I had them, the next year was the try or the Olympics, and I was definitely not going. You know, um, nursing twins, um, twins. Oh, wait a minute. No. World champs. I just didn't go because I, I think it it was in Beijing and I and I didn't go. But the next year I didn't go because I was pregnant with them. For, uh, and I had them July of 2016. So I was on bed rest uh, towards the end of the season when <laughs> went into preterm labor at a meet in California and had to spend five days there. And so I was pretty much done with the, the season at that point. But um they really are a blessing. It was a surprise. Um, you know, I was told I couldn't have kids naturally. So I was just like, okay, you know, I didn't want to do anything in vitro and go through all this other stuff. I'm just like, if it's not in God's plan, I'll just buy shoes and go on vacations. Um, and that's, so that's the goal, huh? <laughs> that's the goal. <laughs> you know, like I could just, just travel the world and, you know, put my energy into my, my track babies. But, um, I think, because I was in a place like Utah where family is super important and the support of my university, I was able to travel with them for a year. And that made it super easy for me to do my job and be a mother um, without having family here. Because when you're a new mom, you don't even trust yourself with your kids. I know, right. <laughs> let, let alone leaving twins with somebody, uh, even your own husband, when you're trying to figure it out yourself. So. I think working the job um, that I worked and working where I worked and being in a place like Utah where 
we have noticed, my husband and I, that family is super important in here. And, and it, it's shown by the actions. You know, I, there were a lot of places closed on Sundays that typically aren't closed in other cities. Um, there's a lot of stuff to do for kids here. You know, it's just a very family-friendly environment. And so you see that in hours, people work. You know, my husband's always complaining that like 40% of the people at his job are gone because on Halloween, you know, people want to go trick-or-treating with their kids. And that is so different. I want to go trick-or-treating for myself. (laughs) Yeah, like even seeing how into Halloween people are here, like the adults get way into it. Like, No, I don't want to dress up. I just want the candy. You just want the candy. Like that like candy never wore off for me i'm still a kid when it comes to that i'll eat gummies all day long oh i I like gummies too and i'm a big jolly rancher and anybody that gives snickers or those kind of i'm like you guys are the best people ever and you get that old you know grandma candy like werther's and like cinnamon i'm like oh man drops yeah (laughs) (laughs) cans of tuna um you know (laughs) yeah peanut butter jelly sandwich but yeah like um I, I think the family environment here you know I was just so stressed out being a college coach and being a female you always it seems like you're always trying to plan your life around your job as, as a coach even when I was a high school coach like oh I gotta be pregnant by this time because state is this time and then nationals is here and um so you know I think being at the place that I'm at made it super easy to not super easy. It just made it easy to be able to travel with and do my job and have my babies with me. That's cool. So what's the goal now? I mean, I mean, you wanted to be a veterinarian. That changed. Uh, you were going to be a track athlete, and that changed eventually. The, everything changes, and this happens to us all, you know. What's the goal now? What, what are you driving towards? Well, I definitely, now that I've established, you know, culture and things like that on my team, now I, I want to help win. I want to help put points on the board at nationals and that's the part you know that I I'm still very unsatisfied about but also now as a mother and being away from my family so long um, I want my kids to have a different life than I did and grow up around their family grow up around their grandparents and their cousins and um, you know my goal is to get to a place or or have a job where I can be closer to my parents and, and my own family um, so that my kids aren't moving around every two and three years and changing schools every year and can say, Mom, I'm going over cousin so-and-so's house or, you know, I want, I'm going to go fishing with Grandpa or me being able to, you know, drop them off somewhere and just take a, you know, an adult vacation somewhere and having a little bit more time to myself too. But, yeah. Um, you know, with traveling a lot, they, sometimes I feel really, you know, you have mom guilt and you feel like you're missing out a lot. And you, I wonder sometimes are my kids, you know, do they feel like I'm always leaving them and, uh, things like that. So I want to make sure that I'm around when they have games and sports functions and all these things. So, um, yeah, I just want to be happy. Yeah. I think that's the goal, right? Yeah. Um, are they athletes? These these boys these oh, twins. Oh, I just posted some some videos on um, Instagram. I I say this with a hundred percent bias. Yes, they are. Um, they set up little obstacles and things in the house all the time, and I just observe. I never tell them what to do. I just 
sit back, I'll pull up my phone, I'm always ready for something, and watch them do things that it takes me three months to tell my teach my athletes and watch them do it naturally. I'm like, I don't even want to say anything because I'll probably uncoach them. Exactly. <laughs> you know, even just the way a child picks up a ball when they're a baby, perfect form, back straight, you know, bends at the knees, not at the waist. And then somehow we coach them and they're like doing it all wrong and they're getting injured. But one of them is definitely very, very athletic and, and is very aware of it. And the other one, you know, I, I see him being a runner. Um, he likes to jump a lot. He, he's always saying, let's race up the stairs. But he's a little bit more artsy and into music and he's kind of an introvert. So I'm like, he's probably going to have to do like some sort of individual sport if he does it. They're all going to, they're both going to do sports regardless because I think that um, sports teaches you a whole lot more things than just about winning. And so I want them to do sports because I think it just makes you well-rounded. Yeah, it does. What do you want, what do you want to do to kind of encourage that, that more intellectual artsy side that you were talking about though? I just watch them and observe and ask them questions. You know, um, one of my sons, Reese, he today, you know, said he wanted a piano. And he's always, I see him when he goes to people's house, if they have a piano, he's just like drawn to it. Um, I think a little bit of that is from spending time at your house. <laughs> Maybe. Um, <laughs> it could be. But he's, I feel like he's, I don't know if, if Raiden, you know, does the same, but I've noticed anything music, he likes to hum. If Raiden's singing the, the lyrics wrong, he's quick to correct him. So I, I think he's kind of into music. Um, even the way he dresses, he's a little bit, more fashionable, can match a lot better than his brother. So I just feel like he's a little bit more artistic. He likes reading. He likes learning. Um, so I just kind of let them tell me what they want to do and try to nurture it. Just being an, you know, being an athlete, there was a whole lot of other things that I was able to do, but sports took up so much time that I wasn't able to do them. And so... You know, it's interesting that the, these boys, um, they were coming to our house um, off and on during a time when I had told my kids... Um, with, my kids are in three sports a year and they don't have time to do piano lessons, but I wanted them to learn the piano and I, I'm, I'm a little musical, so I thought I could help them some, but I gave them these songs and I said, if, if you learn to play this song, I'll pay you 30 bucks. And so the, they would practice and practice and practice. They spent hours and, and, I, and, uh, all of them have passed off the $30 song. Um, then, you know, when they passed that off, uh, I promised them $70 for a more difficult song. And, and, and these aren't, these aren't like elementary songs. We're talking the entertainer from Scott Joplin and, you know, these are not simple songs and they, and they stretch them and, and these kids will work for hours and hours and hours to earn 70 bucks. And I think that's been so good. One, because I didn't, I didn't end up paying for piano lessons, but two, that I ended up um, challenging them in a way that would resonate with them. And that's when your kids were over all the time is when they were oh. going gung-ho about that. And so they would sit down and they would take turns practicing these these songs. And now, you know, they can sit down and they only know three songs now, the ones they passed off. <laughs> but they can sit down and play a tune that, that people So recognize. did you teach them to read music or they learned by ear how to play these songs? No. So my, my sister-in-law is a piano teacher and she's got this app. Um, and the app is, it's fantastic. I've never seen an app like that for teaching anything, but they sit down with the app and the app teaches them bit by bit and, and they have to pass off each song and they get three stars for passing it off well, one star for doing it kind of mediocre and no stars for failing. Um, 
And so they challenged themselves and they, you know, they play it faster and faster and, and, and it taught them how to read music. And so these songs that I'm stretching them with and paying them for those songs were, um, th- I had the sheet music and they had to learn it and learn to play it, but it, it came because that could, because of this app and that my sister-in-law just has this resource. That's been great. Wow. That's, that's really cool. So I hope I've, I, I hope they're musical, but I, I hope they're athletic too. I mean, I, just do everything, try everything. Yeah. That's where I am with my kids. I want them to you know, just do a little bit, whatever, and whatever their gifts are, I want to nurture that and support that. And, you know, one of the things when you, you know, my husband's an athlete too, or he was a football player, played a little bit overseas um, and played some arena, but people are always like, oh, your kids are going to be so athletic. And I'm always like, yeah, and they're going to be smart too. Um, You know, I just don't want people to just try to set out their path for them. I kind of want them to figure out what they want to do and also understand that that path can have many forks and many turns and it's okay. Um, You can change what you want to do. You can, you know, so, I mean, obviously who would have thought a microbiologist would be coaching track in Utah? Well, if you're good at it. (laughs) yeah so you know um I don't want to put them in a box and just say that they're athletes yeah and I think that's that's the statement I want to end the show on don't put them in a box um let them try things let them go yep and don't put them in a bubble either (laughs) thanks well this is Stephanie Perkins everyone and I appreciate you for listening uh I hope you've enjoyed getting to know Stephanie a little bit better. There's a reason I had her on the podcast. And I think that reason was pretty evident today. Um, I hope that the, my kids grow up to run for her at where, whatever university she's at when they, when they get to that oh, age. You're too kind. Um, and if they don't run, that's fine. They'll be musicians or they'll do whatever they want to do. But um, we like Stephanie and she's been a great addition to our little closed community here in Utah. And uh, thank you, Stephanie, for coming to the program. Oh, thank you so much, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. I I enjoyed this. This is probably one of the best and funnest um, conversations I've had and podcasts that I've done this year. So thank you. The questions were, they were different, but like so refreshing. I appreciate it. You're welcome. That was Stephanie Perkins, great lady. Um, I really appreciated this conversation. Um, I wanted to get into a little bit about, you know, what interests me about Stephanie uh, as part of my final thoughts. I was a track and field athlete when I was in high school, and I was pretty good. I wasn't scholarship good. I wasn't uh, getting attention from universities, but I was doing all right, and I was scoring in track meets, and I was, uh, till my junior year, I was doing really well as a junior, and I just didn't progress any further beyond my junior year, so... I've always just enjoyed track and field. I enjoy the the camaraderie at the track when you're not competing. I enjoy the individual aspect of the competition as well as uh, contributing to a team score. And I'm always interested in having and seeing these coaches that come in and they change the culture of a team. And that's what Stephanie did. Um, and I've always just kind of been interested in that. Anyway, my interest in track and field is lifelong and uh, I really want you to see what's great about Stephanie and what it is, what it is that makes me excited about the sport. Anyway, that's my final thought. Uh, no big deal, but track and field's awesome. Uh, viewership needs to go up so we can get it on network TV a lot more.